The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And if you're interested in subscribing to Chen's letter, you'll need to call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, uh, to put your name on a waiting list because Chen will not take new subscribers now until the beginning of January 2014. Uh, Chen, uh, you can call Claudio Bassi at 718-457-1426 during the regular work hours, 718-457-1426, or you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, where you can put your name on the list uh, directly that way. I should like to remind you that you can also sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, at Mining Stocks as well. Also, the best place to go for everything I do, including accessing this radio show, is jtaylormedia.com. J-A-Y-TaylorMedia.com. Pretty soon, uh, this will be the place to go to listen to uh, my radio show. Uh, so jtaylormedia.com, you can go there now to access it. Just click on the radio button. It will take you right to the Voice America website where my show uh, airs live at 3, between 3 and 5 o'clock Eastern Time every Tuesday, or you can go there to uh, download the um, all the archives that go back all the way to March of 2009. I would like to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I would also like to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable, our sponsors for the current fall season are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp, Columbia Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Those of you who like listening to this show might want to tune in to Al Corlin's show. That's uh, at the the kereport.com, kereport.com, and Al updates that every Saturday. Uh, there, uh, the topics that we discuss here sometimes are discussed there, but usually uh, the topics of the week are discussed on Al's weekly show, and he usually does it in the form of a roundtable discussion which several guests provide their own views on uh, important topics of the day. Sometimes I am a guest there, but there's lots of other people that I think are worth listening to, entertaining, and can provide some great insights into what is really happening in the world as opposed to what we are getting or being told is happening by the mainstream media. I'd like to encourage you to keep your questions coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Uh, send them there, or uh, if questions or, or criticisms or compliments or uh, just uh, ideas that you have about improving the show, what you like, what you don't like, send them to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. You may uh, especially feel, uh, uh, feel like sending questions after today's show because today's show, I would suggest, is more controversial even than most other shows. And, of course, uh, our shows are out of the mainstream. They are a view outside of what you're going to get from the main CBS, NBC, etc., etc., Uh, I have titled today's show, Hidden Secrets, Is 40,000 Gold a Ridiculous Idea? 
Well, I think that topic in itself ought to evoke some responses from almost everyone because who in the world in their right mind would think that $40,000 gold is anything but crazy? But is it ridiculous when the amount of money being created out of thin air is growing exponentially and which there is an infinite amount of money that can be created uh, through uh, the keystrokes of computers? Once you start to realize that gold is not rising but in fact currency is becoming worthless, even more and more worthless, then the concept of $40,000 gold or even a million dollar gold per ounce is within the realm of possibility. Of course, we can only hope that those kind of high numbers for gold never do take place because if they do it is going to be it is going to be indicative of tremendous loss of confidence in the currency system the policymakers and more than likely a very dangerous social unrest uh, and totalitarian government would follow so none of us want to see that none of us want to see uh, or or even think about getting rich by owning gold although i do believe that owning gold and silver those metals will be saviors for people that own, that own them. Uh, and uh, our main guest today will be Michael Maloney. He's the founder and owner of GoldSilver.com, and he will provide a very logical reason to believe that $40,000 gold is well within the realm of possibility based on the fiat currency, which he is very careful to distinguish as being far different than money. And money is a store of value in addition to performing other functions that you need that currency provides actually currency and money money in addition to currency is a store of value so fiat money uh, or currency which we are forced to use over the barrel of a gun has no intrinsic value so when the holders of trillions upon trillions of fiat money finally discover that reality then all bets are off uh, as to the upside for gold actually it would be more accurate to say all bets are off as to the worthlessness of the dollar as fiat currency because an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold forever just as an ounce of silver is an ounce of silver forever. What changes is not the value of an ounce of gold but rather the decline in the perceived value of fiat currency. And as Alastair McCloud recently told us on, on this show, fiat money has no intrinsic value. The whole quantum theory of money, in fact, really does not apply to the present time because uh, there is no attachment of intrinsic value to the dollar as there once was prior to 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. If the intrinsic value of dollar is uh, of the dollar is zero, as in fact it is, then whether you have one trillion dollars in circulation or a hundred billion trillion dollars in circulation, the sum of that value, the intrinsic value of that sum of, of money in, in circulation is zero. It is absolutely zero. So that is the total intrinsic value, actually, of the money supply that we have now. The U.S. dollar, its value is zero. Unlike during the days when you could exchange our dollar for gold or silver, you go to the bank and get a, 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 an ounce of gold for every $35 or an ounce of silver for every $5, it's now the dollar has no value. Uh, in the minds of most people, the dollar does, in fact, and the dollar and other fiat currencies does have value. Even intrinsic value in the minds of most people. I still remember a, an eighth grade history teacher of my son in, in, uh, in grammar school suggested the dollar was still backed by gold. It shows the ignorance and, and that people really do think that somehow there is value, intrinsic value in the paper money they carry and the digits they have in their bank account. But as Alistair McLeod pointed out, when people do start to realize that prices are not rising but rather the currency is falling because it is worthless, any value the currency has can very suddenly evaporate to nothing, which in fact, uh, as I mentioned, the dollar is worthless really in terms of its intrinsic value. By way of an example, Alistair pointed out the Iceland corona that lost one half of its value literally one half of its value overnight and there was no increase in the corona so the increase in value the increase in numbers of uh, currency uh, units of currency really is not the question the question is what is the intrinsic value of the currency what makes the currency uh, the current global monetary situation so precarious 
is that virtually all currencies around the world are worthless in terms of their intrinsic value, and the detachment of gold from the international monetary system by Richard Nixon in 1971 paved the way for countries around the world to administer a gigantic con game because people, as I mentioned, do not understand the difference between gold-backed currency and pure fiat money. Uh, they think that fiat money has intrinsic value. I think it's still the, the attachment in their minds that there is gold backing it when, in fact, there is no gold backing it. In 1971, Richard Nixon said that by detaching gold from the dollar, he could pave the way for prosperity and economic stability. Listen to the lies Nixon told the American people in August 1971 that, in fact, paved the way for the horrific financial mess we are in today. Listen as he talks about the detachment of gold from the dollar and why he was suggesting that this was a good thing and how it would pave the way to prosperity. Listen to what Richard Nixon told all of us in 1971. The third indispensable element in building the new prosperity is closely related to creating new jobs and halting inflation. We must protect the position of the American dollar as a pillar of monetary stability around the world. In the past seven years, there's been an average of one international monetary crisis every year. Now, who gains from these crises? Not the working man, not the investor, not the real producers of wealth. The gainers are the international money speculators. Because they thrive on crises, they help to create them. In recent weeks, the speculators have been waging an all-out war on the American dollar. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. And the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Now, what does this action, which is very technical, what does it mean for you? Let me lay to rest the bugaboo of what is called devaluation. If you want to buy a foreign car or take a trip abroad, market conditions may cause your dollar to buy slightly less. But if you are among the overwhelming majority of Americans, who buy American-made products in America, your dollar will be worth just as much tomorrow as it is today. The effect of this action, in other words, will be to stabilize the dollar. Now, this action will not win us any friends among the international money traders. But our primary concern is with the American workers and with fair competition around the world. To our friends abroad, including the many responsible members of the international banking community who are dedicated to stability and the flow of trade, I give this assurance. The United States has always been and will continue to be a forward-looking and trustworthy trading partner. In full cooperation with the International Monetary Fund and those who trade with us, we will press for the necessary reforms to set up an urgently needed new international monetary system. Stability and equal treatment is in everybody's best interest. I am determined that the American dollar must never again be a hostage in the hands of international speculators. I'm taking one further step to protect the dollar, to improve our balance of payments, and to increase jobs for Americans. As a temporary measure, I am today imposing an additional tax of 10% on goods imported into the United States. This is a better solution for international trade than direct controls on the amount of imports. This import tax is a temporary action. It isn't directed against any other country. It's an action to make certain that American products will not be at a disadvantage because of unfair exchange rates. When the unfair treatment is ended, the import tax will end as well. As a result of these actions, the product of American labor will be more competitive, and the unfair edge that some of our foreign competition has will be removed.
This is a major reason why our trade balance has eroded over the past 15 years. Well, there you have what I believe was one of the most important speeches made by a president of the United States in my lifetime because President Nixon's actions outlined in that speech led to the financial promiscuity, the likes of which the world has never seen to this date. And it paved the way for what I believe is an upcoming cataclysmic nation-changing event. Nixon promised us that the non-convertibility of the dollar into gold would be temporary. Well, here we are, 42 years later, and the dollar is still not convertible into gold. I guess if you're looking at geological time, you might make the case that 42 years is temporary. And what about the detachment of gold from the dollar negating international monetary speculation? What about the detachment of gold from the dollar leading to prosperity and international monetary stability and fairness of trade for the United States? I will be right back after the commercial break to address those questions. And then following that, our main guest, Michael Maloney, will be joining me to tell us why $40,000 gold is not a ridiculous idea. Don't away. I'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, we just finished listening to an excerpt of the August 15, 1971 speech by President Richard Nixon, in which he said he was temporarily removing convertibility of the dollar to gold. Of course, that was his first lie in that speech. There was no intention of Nixon returning to a gold standard. He, nor any other president after him, ever talked about doing so. And so here we are, 42 years later, still no convertibility of the dollar into gold. Besides the real reason that Nixon took us off the gold standard was because it meant he could finance both the Vietnam War and Lyndon Johnson's socialism without funding guns and butter the honest way by raising taxes. Even before Nixon removed gold from the dollar, the U.S. had begun to issue debt to pay for war and socialism. Wisely, President de Gaulle of France didn't accept dollars that were losing their unit value with so many more being printed. He chose instead to do what he was allowed to do under the Bretton Woods Agreement, namely to exchange $35 of fiat currency for every ounce of gold. With that, the U.S. gold hoard started to fall very rapidly. So, in 1971, Nixon took advantage of the power of the United States that was gained from the spoils of World War II to socket to de Gaulle and the rest of the world and any other countries that would require or demand honest money in exchange for the fraudulent U.S. dollar. So long as the rest of the world thought the dollar was worth its weight in gold, then the dollar scam could continue. And so it has. 
But what has that meant for the promise of international monetary stability that Nixon promised in his 1971 speech? In fact, we have had far less international monetary stability than we had before we went off the gold standard. True, there were times when the exchange rates were all that were all fixed to a set amount of gold would no longer face the economic reality of various currencies. Some countries were far less disciplined in their f fiscal and monetary policy than other countries, so that revaluations would have to occur from time to time. But nothing during that time frame compared with the massive inflation that took place in the 1970s that blew the global monetary system into a chaotic, chaotic crisis considerably worse than anything under the gold-backed fixed exchange regime. The result was a rise in the price of gold from $35 in 1971 to $850 by 1980. Beyond the inflationary 1970s that resulted because there was no limit in the amount of money that could be created, there have been a series of bubbles that have resulted in one crisis after the next. Let me name a few of them. The Mexican debt crisis, the 1987 stock market crash, the Asian crisis, the Russian crisis, the long-term capital management crisis, the stock market dot-com telecom crash of 2000, and of course the granddaddy of all so far, the stock market crash of 2008 and 9, caused by the housing bubble. All of these massive problems are a direct result of endless printing press money creating by created by President Nixon's decision to go off the international gold standard. Nixon said that what would result is prosperity for the American workers. Well, exactly the opposite has occurred. The American working class, the middle class, has had a persistent decline in his relative earnings and standard of living since we went off the gold standard. And now with the economy getting worse with every recession and never really coming back to where it was before for average people, and since the Lehman Brothers stock market crash, we have never really come out of that recession at all, according to John Williams' numbers. The number of Americans are now becoming impoverished like never before. The middle class is, in, is being destroyed. There is by far a record number of Americans now, for example, on food stamps. We are in a horrific depression already, though mainstream, the mainstream press is completely denying it. What about putting an end to the speculative behavior of international gold speculators that President Nixon promised if we go off the gold standard. Again, exactly the opposite has been true. There is by far more speculation now by bankers and international speculators than ever before, and that is also a direct result of bankers and hedge funds having access to the massive amount of money that is being created thanks to no gold discipline. What about going off the gold standard and imposing a 10% import tax helping the, out the United States trade deficit? Well, a slight improvement did take place in a few years after 1971, but uh, the deficit, the U.S. deficit then fell uh, far below anything that we had seen before, from a slight positive to a slight negative during Nixon's days, uh, and then in the 1980s a steep decline, a recovery in the late 80s with Ronald Reagan, but then it fell off the cliff, precipitously falling from break-even to 800 billion by 2004 and much beyond that thereafter. One time on my radio show I asked Robert Prechter if he thought we would have had that we would have currently have the problems we have now had Nixon not taken us off the gold standard. Prechter answered no, but Nixon had no choice. Robert Prechter believed that social pressures from Americans for an easier life, one that is not disciplined by gold is what Americans really wanted and demanded. If Nixon tried to raise taxes to pay for guns and butter, or if he had tried to cut social programs, he would not have been re-elected, according to Prechter. Perhaps so. But many people also have thought that Nixon was really a really bad guy because of Watergate. Actually, according to R Russell Baker, who wrote the very informative book titled Family of Secrets, which was largely about the powerful Bush family, Nixon was actually framed by some very powerful special interest groups in the oil and sugar industries. In the end, we have to realize that the President of the United States is not really the President of the United States. President Kennedy thought he was the President of the United States, and that led him to do things that got him killed. President Nixon also thought he was the President of the United States, but no doubt he figured out that he wasn't 
before his life was taken from him, that he, uh, he, he, that he, he also figured it out that he was not the President of the United States. And why do I say that? Because, as Russell points out in his book, Nixon was very curious about who actually killed Kennedy. So he requested the files on the Kennedy assassination from the CIA. But do you think the CIA would give them to Nixon? No siree. The CIA denied giving Nixon the files on who killed President Kennedy. One would think the President of the United States should have the right, if anyone should, to see who killed his predecessor. But apparently, the President of the United States is not actually the President of the United States. And so with regard to Nixon taking us off the gold standard, Prechter may well be right. But it may also be uh, that it wasn't just the common folks who would have voted against Nixon. It may well have been powerful interests beyond the throne that told Nixon he must take us off the gold standard. Certainly, those powerful interests have profited mightily. The military-industrial complex could run amok. No, no limits to the military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us against. No limits to the amount of money that be, could be created by the banking institution for which they could become extremely rich and redistribute wealth from the middle class to the upper class to the Washington politicians and to Wall Street. But there is a way for you to protect yourself and even gain wealth as a result of these dastardly deeds that have served to take our Constitution away from us. We have to go to break now, but when I come back, I will be talking to Michael Maloney to learn why he thinks $40,000 gold is not a crazy idea and how you can profit from an understanding of why that is true. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Michael Maloney. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Michael Maloney. Michael is the producer and host of Hidden Secrets of Money. Uh, That's an acclaimed investment education series that explores the history of currency and money, and it aims to enlighten the world that maximum prosperity can only be achieved through the individual freedom of markets, free markets, and sound money. Known for the best-selling precious metals investment book of all time, Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver, Mike has become a persistent leader in helping demystifying what is behind the currency curtain 
and the historic economic shifts that lead to wealth transfer. Mike has been a regular speaker alongside financial educator Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, that series, uh, and he's uh, been a featured speaker at investment seminars all over the world. He founded GoldSilver.com in 2005 to establish a trusted online source for ordinary people to buy gold and silver with the knowledge and understanding of how the economics of gold and silver play out over time in a persistent cycle. Welcome, Michael. It's really good to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I've looked at your video series, and that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today as much as possible. And I would like to urge our listeners to go to goldsilver.com. To, you can watch this series. It's free, uh, The Hidden Secrets of Money. Uh, it is an excellent series that really gives you a historical perspective and helps you understand where we are right now in the United States relative to what other countries and, and civilizations have gone through in the past. And it, I think it's it's an excellent easy to understand, easy to comprehend way uh, to to really help you understand what you need to do now to protect yourself against what I think is going to be one of the most difficult times in American history facing us as, as we enter uh, over the next couple of years. Well, Michael, uh, The Hidden Secrets of Money, it's a, a three-video series. I've watched all three. Uh, the first episode is titled Currency Versus Money. So I would just like to start out by asking you if you can define money uh, and then define currency. Um, well, I'd, I'd like to start with currency. It has okay. to be a it has to be a medium of exchange, mm-hmm. a unit of account. It's got to be portable, durable, divisible, and something called fungible, where mm-hmm. the units are interchangeable. If uh, you loan me a twenty dollar bill, I don't have to pay you back that same twenty dollar bill. I can sure. pay it back with five ones, a five, and a ten, and, and you're happy with it. So that's mm-hmm. fungibility. Okay. Um, money has to be all of those things plus a store of value. Uh-huh. All national currencies, the way that national currencies are designed, they are specifically designed to lose value. They're backed by debt, which has to be paid back with interest. And in order to pay that interest back, you have to print more of the current and therefore dilute its purchasing power causing it to lose value. People confuse the currency going down with prices going up. They don't realize that inflation is the currency going down. Uh, And uh, so that's basically the difference between currency and money is money is a store of value over long periods of time. And what's interesting is uh, when you look at this, you know, there have been currencies that store value for a little while, but then they always end up losing value. The only things throughout history that have proven to be money are gold and silver. Only gold and silver is money. Uh, Everything else is national currencies. Okay, we've had, um, I've I've listened to Alan Greenspan talk about how shells, seashells have been used as money. Um, Mm -hmm. Various other commodities have been used as money in the past. You don't agree with that? Well, they've been used as as a currency, but they okay, not the store value. Store value. Uh-huh. Uh, the ca- cowrie shells are the longest uh, used form of currency. There were uh, cultures in Africa that were still using them in the early early 20th century, uh, and so they were they've been around for eight or nine thousand years. Cowrie shells. Mm-hmm. But if you live near an, an ocean, if you're close to the coast, a thunderstorm can break on bring on a hyperinflation. <laughs> I mean, it can wash up a bazillion shells on the uh-huh. on the Sure, and expand uh-huh. the currency supply, and then the uh, the value goes down. These things worked fairly well uh, way inland, where they were very rare. Um, and you know, the, one of the things about the hidden secrets of money, it's shot in 16 different countries. Hmm. So it has allowed me to tour all of the monetary museums. Uh, we have an episode, but by the way, it's three episodes that are out currently, but mm-hmm. it's six episodes per season. So there's uh, three more episodes to be released this year. Oh, good. And then there will be six episodes released next year. But um, I've toured the Bundesbank Museum in uh, Germany, uh, the Monetary Museum in Beijing, China, the uh, Monetary Museum in Tokyo, Japan, and several other. And the study of currency and money is absolutely fascinating. And how how there are things that parallel what we are doing to our currency today that 
The most fascinating thing about monetary history is that it repeats, and you can sort of predict what is going to happen by whatever is the, the fundamentals of what is going on in a society at the moment. You can sort of see into the future if you know a little bit of monetary history. So it's almost as if it's beyond the control of civilizations. They go through these cycles. Is that it? And I guess if you're able to see it coming, you should be able to avoid the, the pain and even prosper from, uh, from, from this knowledge. And I think that's a big part of what you try to do on your website. Yeah, it's really caused because of civilizations trying to control it. When uh-huh. the free market is allowed to pick what money is and set interest rates, it always, throughout history, without fail, it has always picked gold and silver. And when you have the free market selecting these things, you have stability in an automatic correcting system, where if you have a little bus, there is a correcting system in the free market that causes the bus to go back, you know, to start to boom again. And with with gold, you have these small oscillations around the planet where one society will have a little bit of an economic boom, they feel rich, they start importing goods from societies that have lower labor rates and the mm-hmm. cost of goods is cheaper. When they do that, they export their, they pay in gold. So the mm-hmm. gold is flowing out, causing a deflation and causing the society with the boom going on to cool down and the society with the bust, uh, their economy is very slow to start to boom. And so you have these auto, this automatic self-correcting mechanism with any type of hard money. And it's, it's men uh, having the audacity and arrogance to think that they know better than the free market that cause all the problems, basically. Uh, right, it's, it's economists. <laughs> well, that, that's for sure. Uh, it's it's economists, uh, yeah, with from fancy universities too, no less. But now, so um, what? So I guess what gives then gold and silver this uh, store of value is what really makes it unique, and why the markets have chosen it to be money. And and the reason, as as you say, not unlike sheet, seashells, which you have a storm could could cause a hyperinflation. I know, as one who is much involved with mining companies, to get gold and silver out of the ground is very, very difficult these days, more difficult than it used to be in the past because most of the easily accessible gold and silver has been mined. So is that what gives gold and silver, is that what makes it unique? Is it's, its rarity, the difficulty of getting it out of the ground? Yes, it, it's uh, it, it's rare, so it's limited in quantity by nature. And then it contains uh, the value of the blood, sweat, tears, labor, and ideas that it took to get it up out of the ground and minted into a coin. When they print a new unit of currency, the place it gets its purchasing power is by stealing purchasing power from all the existing units of currency. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's backed by debt. All of the base money in the United States is backed by U.S. treasuries, and and now with Ben Bernanke, some of it's backed by mortgage-backed securities. Uh, But basically, that's a promise to make us pay tax in the future. So the existence of paper dollars is a promise by our government to tax us in the future to pay the Federal Reserve back for a, on, the Federal Reserve has bonds on their balance sheet. We owe the principal and the interest on those bonds, and the Federal Reserve bought those bonds with a check on a zero account balance. <laughs> so it's really theft. It's fraudulent. Okay, which leads me to my next question. Then is that why? Because the people in in charge have the ability to steal from the people that are not in charge of the of the fiat money, the uh, currency. Absolutely, the whole monetary system, as as you'll see in episode four, was designed over 300 years ago by the men that created the Bank of England. And then central banking was improved by the Rothschilds, and that made them the wealthiest family on the planet for more than a century. So the system was designed to enrich a few at the expense of the many. And we had that interrupted to a certain extent in, in history, at least in American history. We started out with a sound monetary system. The uh, uh, the founding fathers definitely wanted to have gold and silver. In fact, it's defined, money is defined as gold and silver in our um, in, in our constitution. constitution. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so what happened uh, some of these uh, thieves got in charge, I guess, huh? Yeah, and they always use some emergency to conceal what they're doing. Uh, you know, World War 1 was going on and we had had we had just had a market crash and banking panic, the bank the, the panic of 1907. The uh, powers that be uh, came up with a central bank uh, based monetary system and sort of snuck it past everybody. Um, 
But, uh, you know, what's interesting is if you investigate the cause of the crises that allowed them to sort of uh, pull this on us, the panic of 1907 and all the big other booms and busts that they were blaming on the free market weren't the free market. Yeah. It was a, we make fraud and theft legal for a certain portion of the population. In the banking industry, fraud and theft is legalized yes. and institutionalized. Right. And uh, people don't realize that fractional reserve banking is fraudulent and that when you uh, make a deposit in the bank, once you give them your currency, you are then a creditor of the bank. You're, you, you don't actually own your currency in your account anymore. The That's bank right. owes it to you, but they're the ones that, that own it, and they can do anything they want with it uh, from the time you deposit it on. Right, and you're an unsecured creditor, I might add. Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, um, anyway, what the latest episode is about, it's a continuation from the last episode. The first episode is basically the difference between currency and money and where inflation comes from. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. And then the second episode shows the first example in history that I can find of a civilization funding uh, war and public works uh, by means of deficit spending. And it's Athens back in during the Peloponnesian Wars mm -hmm. from uh, roughly 430 to 407 BC. And uh, they debased their currency supply. This is the prototype of democracy, the first uh, free market society, and they had a working tax structure. And they took the, if, if you take in a thousand coins in taxes and you melt them down and you add 50% copper, now you can, and, and mint more coins, now you can mint 2,000 coins and spend them. So if you mm -hmm. take in a thousand and you spend 2000 that's deficit spending they were doing deficit spending back you know in the 400s bc and uh that brought down the uh great culture of the athenian empire mm -hmm. they became nothing but a satellite of rome mm -hmm. uh and then it shows how every 30 to 40 years one of the things i discovered when i was writing my book and i couldn't find any writings on it back then at the time uh, this this was back in 2005 and six. I was <clears throat> I'm, I'm a believer in cycles. Mm -hmm. I believe that uh, some of the cycles are absolutely inevitable. They're just a product of the last cycle. And um, so I took every uh, crisis that I whether it was a stock market crash or a recession or depression or uh, currency crises like right after the, the Civil War. Uh, or, uh, you know, the end of Bretton Woods, that was a currency crisis, basically. Um, I put them all in a spreadsheet, and something very dramatic leapt out at me, and that was that every 30 to 40 years, the world has an entirely new monetary system, hmm. completely different from the last one. Uh, before World War I, we had the classical gold standard, where countries would have a certain amount of gold in the treasury, in the vault, and they would issue a matching amount of currency fully redeemable in gold. Then in the United States, we made, uh, fraud, we made fraud legal when we passed the Federal Reserve Act, and uh, it was, the Federal Reserve was allowed to put $50 worth of claim checks on gold, because that's what our currency was. Mm -hmm. The national currency was a paper claim check on money, right. gold and silver in the vault. And uh, this is what one thing that people need to differentiate is the difference between currency and, and money. Uh, if the paper claim check was money in and of itself, there would be no reason to hold gold in a vault to back it. Mm -hmm. It would be a tr trustworthy thing. But anyway... So the classical gold standard fell apart during World War One. There was an emergency meeting, uh, the Genoa Conference in 1922, to hash out a new world monetary system, and that was an intra-war uh, gold standard that was a mixture of debt and and gold. Uh, and that fell apart during World War Two, during the Great Depression and World War Two. And then there was an emergency meeting in 1944 at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, where they came up with the Bretton Woods system. Uh -huh. And uh, that worked for a while until, uh, you know, each one of these systems are man-made, and any man-made system cannot possibly last because you can't predict everything, all the forces of the free market, everything that's going to happen in a society. Mm -hmm. And 
pressures will build up misallocations of capital overinvestment in one area and, and underinvestment in another and then the whole thing starts to develop stress cracks and begins to implode uh, for the Bretton Woods system it began to implode in the late 60s and by 1971 Nixon had to end the Bretton Woods system or the entire world monetary system would have collapsed and he called for uh, a, an emergency meeting uh, to create a urgently needed new world monetary system. Before the end of this decade, it's going to happen again. The, let me just stop you there. Emergency. Let me just stop you there, um, uh, Michael. On, on one point, on 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window, you said yeah. that he, he really had no choice. It seems to me, as someone who lived through that period of time and watched it carefully, uh, that he might have had a choice in that he, he could have, at least in theory, could have uh, said, we're going to stop printing, we're going to stop our government spending for wars and for, well, for bread and butter, for guns and butter at that mm -hmm. time. Uh, of course, it wouldn't have been politically popular, or we're going to have to tax the American people to pay for this stuff. Did he have that choice? I mean, I, I, Robert Prechter, who I've had on this show, a real deflationist, says, no, he had no choice, that, if, uh, that the people were clamoring for an easier life. They didn't want the disciplines of the gold standard at that time. But to, it, to be able to do it, he would have had to have uh, the, the American people would have had to accept an enormous devaluation of our currency uh -huh. because uh, the problem was that the Bretton Woods system during both wars, Europe paid us with gold while we sold them stuff. They took their soldiers off the farms, and so we had to we supplied their grains, we supplied a lot of consumer goods as they turned their economies toward war, and so by the end of World War II, they didn't have any more gold, but they were flooded with dollars that, mm -hmm. that we had loaned them. So the Bretton Woods system, uh, the U.S. dollar was the only currency backed by gold, mm -hmm. and all other currencies were backed by U.S. dollars, so mm -hmm. all the world's central banks had to hold U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. But we never stopped printing dollars. Yeah. And so by the time um, Bretton, the reason he ended Bretton Woods is because gold, the countries had discovered that we had printed a whole lot more uh, currency than we had gold to back up that currency, a whole lot more claim checks on gold. So we were basically committing a fraud and printing claim checks on gold that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And countries were asking for their gold and cashing in their dollars. Mm -hmm. If that had continued until there was no more gold in the treasury of the United States and any more dollars came in from foreign central banks to lay claim on gold and we couldn't pay, at that point, there there would have been no faith in any currency on the planet because all currencies were, were pegged to gold and backed by gold through the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. And so it would have caused the uh, sudden collapse of the entire implosion of the worldwide monetary system. So he really was forced. We had printed about 12 times more claim checks on gold than we had gold, wow. the base money that we've got. And so you would have had this enormous devaluation to make it work. You would have had to change the price of gold. You would have had to increase it by about a factor of 12 suddenly. Wow. Well, what's interesting is, you know, they ended Brenton Woods, and gold ended up going up 24 times its price anyway. <laughs> the free market and the will of the public bid it up. Yeah. That price. Well, that, that's right. Well, uh, let me just ask you before we go any further here, gold or silver, which is better as a monetary um, metal? Well, I sort of, when I'm, I don't make any recommendations ever. What I do is I tell people what I do. Mm -hmm. And what I do is uh, right now, silver's value is... Uh, uh, low compared to gold's value. Mm -hmm. uh, the gold-silver ratio is somewhere between 50 and 60, I think, right now. Uh, when it's up in, in these areas, historically, for the first 2,000 years, the worldwide average came out to about 12. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason for that is pretty simple. There's 17 times more silver in, in the Earth's crust, but there's about 12 times more mineable silver, or there was, mm -hmm. Uh, they are thinking that that, that that ratio might be around eight today. Mm -hmm. So if there's um, uh, eight times more silver than gold, why is uh, silver's value one uh, fifty-fifth of gold's yeah. value? Uh, right. So for 2,000 years, it was about 12 to 1. Then for 200 years, it was about 15 or 16 to 1 because it was being manipulated by uh, the U.S. And you know they pegged gold, the gold-silver ratio in the U.S. and in England. And uh, uh, then they demonetized silver back in the 1800s, largely, when they went on the international gold standard. And so 
treasuries dumped their silver around the world. Uh, silver's value fell tremendously for the last century. It's been incredibly out of whack to where there were times where silver's value was only one one hundredth of gold's value. And then we used it all up. Once, once World War II happened and electronics came of age, the industrial demand for silver exploded. And so we use a lot of it up and we throw it away, but in very minute quantities that uh, aren't economically recoverable. Mm -hmm. And so uh, silver has become above ground silver on the exchanges and in dealers is actually quite rare compared to gold. There's a lot more gold for investors to buy than silver. And I just believe that when the rush happens, once gold gets over $3,000, $5,000 an ounce, the common man will start considering that expensive, and he'll change his preference to silver just like he did back in 1979 when gold passed $400 an ounce. Yeah. There's really no reason other than rarity, I suppose, that gold would be better than, than silver as a store of value. It's more, it's more easily portable, of course, than silver if you need to yeah, take a lot of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well. Anyway, uh, so we have this printing, creating money uh, to pay for these things. You in your video series, you you know, you started out with Greece, showing that Greece did that. They debased the currency by adding copper, and then they went out and and just you know created more money to to fight their wars. And in you talk in your second uh, the second video that I watched about the, uh, I think it's the seven, uh, really the seven stages. Of yeah, an seven empire. stages of empire. Right. right. So, so if you could go over those seven stages and, and perhaps tell us, our listeners where we are now in the United States relative to this cycle that you've observed, this this uh, this cycle of these sort of seven stages that's, that civilizations go through. Well, stage one is uh, a country starts out with sound money, and then as it uh, gains uh, political influence, uh, it. Uh, expands its military. Uh, once it's got this big military to support, it just has to put it to use <laughs> and costs explode. And to do that, they debase their currency supply. Eventually, the public senses the loss of purchasing power. They rush back toward gold and silver and bid up its value until... What, what's interesting, I mean, you can take charts from Federal Reserve data and Treasury data. Uh, the value of the number of ounces of gold held at the treasury, so it's the number of ounces times the price, mm -hmm. uh, compared to base money, the, the paper dollars that exist. Mm -hmm. And um, they used to be the same under the class classical gold standard before the Federal Reserve. Then we allowed the uh, Fed to uh, commit fraud and, and create more claim checks on gold than gold that existed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the during the... Uh, Depression, there were a bunch of bank runs, and people started asking for gold. There was mm -hmm. something wrong with the currency. They were scared, and they mm -hmm. were asking for gold. And the last bank run was becoming international. Countries were earmarking gold for export at the Federal Reserve. So Roosevelt made gold ownership illegal. And then over a month and a half period, they unpegged and repegged, unpegged and repegged. And so uh, gold's values uh, floated up to where it went to 35 bucks an ounce. And in doing so, the number of ounces of gold at the treasury times that new price was equal to the, the base money. Hmm. And then the same thing happened again, but it was the will of the public and the free markets uh, doing it in the 80s. They bid the value of the gold up until it covered the currency supply. Mm -hmm. Well, we're beginning that stage again where uh, there's... People are worried about what's going on. Ben Bernanke is not helping. <laughs> uh, he's creating a loss of faith in the yes. currency. Yes. And uh, as that happens, you'll see people rush more and more toward gold and silver. I believe that you know this pullback that we've been experiencing is nothing but uh, the equivalent of the 1975-76 pullback in mm -hmm. gold. Mm -hmm. uh, and there will be a, uh, if we haven't reached a bottom yet, there will be a bottom in here somewhere, and then it's off to the races. Well, off to the races, eh, Michael? Well, I better take a commercial break now or I'll be off to the races. But when we come back, I want to ask you what you mean for the price of gold when you say it will be off to the races. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Maloney of goldsilver.com to find out where he thinks the price of gold is ultimately headed. Don't go away. I'll be right back. <laughs> 